0: Welcome to Understanding Russia, a student-led podcast from Belgorod State University. I'm your host, Ian, I have taken it on myself to try to explain this place that Churchill called a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. It turns out that Russians don't find Russia too mysterious. Well, most of the time. Each podcast will delve into a particular aspect of Russian life, and you'll be hearing the real voices of Russians translated into English, so you can find out what they think. Of their country. When I was offered a job in Russia a few years ago, the advice I received varied in color, from you must be out of your mind, to at least you'll have the KGB looking after you, and all shades in between. The more rational of my friends were watching the news and offering opinions like, why would you leave the rich, free, democratic world for a cold dictatorship? By cold they meant wintry. The thing is, nearly all of them were totally negative, and I found myself defending my decision, defending Russia, and trying to explain using phrases like well, it's not as simple as that, or if you look at it from their point of view, or the KGB was renamed in 1995. It seemed that my friends had formulated their opinions from Bond films, the BBC's reasonable reporting, and Elton John videos. And they were the positive ones. In the end, they would usually end up deferring to my point of view because I had an ace in my hand. i had actually been to Russia. I had learned Russian as a student and had first-hand experience of the place. That little advantage made me feel good for a while. But then I realised that all I was doing was substituting my views for Elton's, Ian Fleming's or the BBC. Another revelatory moment was when I realised that most people don't have the time or inclination to understand what's going on in their own country, let alone someone else's. A few years ago, I started listening to podcasts. For me, it was a natural move. I'm a radio person. So I started listening to programmes on science, comedy, history and culture while walking the dog, cooking and going to work. I never thought I'd be hosting one, but now I consider this the best way of getting info on the go. My aim is not to give you an opinion, but introduce you to the culture of this vast and fascinating country through the words of the people who live here. Traditionally, Russians have not been very good at presenting their point of view in a world that demands it. Their problem is not unique. Think about the sum total of your knowledge of any non-English speaking country. That was probably all the time you need for your knowledge of Bhutan. The truth is that countries only come into our consciousness when there's some kind of conflict, then we try to recall any relevant information and add to it by reading a Wikipedia article on our phone. In an age where fear rules politics, knowledge and empathy provide the antidote. It is best to think of the world in terms of a town containing 206 families. Some families are massive but poor, some are small but rich, most families have intermarried at some point, and at some point they all had a common grandparent. We need to look at how we treat and understand our neighbor's point of view and recognize our own flaws as we point out those of our neighbor. I hope to do this with a sense of humor and with openness and respect. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Well, that said, it's time to meet our first Russian. This young man, well, he's a student. He's also my friend, and you'll be hearing a lot from him on this podcast. I started off by asking him how he was. Miserable as always, Ian. <laughs> and you... Uh, I'm actually very happy. I'm happy to be here. So, you're a real Russian? Indeed,
1: I am. And as far as I know, you are not.
0: I am definitely not a real Russian. Although I do some real Russian things. Like what? I eat um, soup with cabbage. I uh, laugh at bad jokes. <sighs> so, we'll go through that, shall we?
1: You're wounding my Russian pride. I love my <laughs> soup with cabbage. Uh, so, can I ask you some questions? Far away. Okay. So you said that you were in Russia before, when you were a student. What was it like the first time you came to Russia?
0: Well, the first time I arrived in Russia, I was, as you say, a student. It was 95, so a long time ago. Longer than I care to remember. My story of coming to Russia was quite long and convoluted, but I actually arrived on the train. So my first experience with Russians was with the most stereotypical Russians you could possibly imagine. Russian um, railroads, yeah. Yeah, so I, I ended up in Coupe, which is, um, for anybody that knows the Orient Express, it is one of those lovely little compartments with sleeping arrangements. But I was not alone. I was joined at Berlin, Ostbahnhof, by a couple of very happy shall we say inebriated russians who were so drunk in fact that uh, they didn't notice i was there until the following day the story is long and arduous and it involves a lot of alcohol and a lot of uh, disbelief they did not believe that a british person would what? be on a train from berlin to St. Petersburg, I didn't realise that the train journey would be two days and not one. (laughs) Yeah. It's then I realised just how big this country is. Well, for anyone from the West, if you're not American, distances in Russia will blow your mind. I ended up on the train for two days, but luckily my drunken friends supplied me with all the food and hospitality that I could ever possibly want.
1: By hospitality, you mean special Russian liquid
0: hospitality, or what do you mean? That too, definitely. So they bought me food when we got to Belarus. Belarus was an interesting uh, moment in the journey. I I tried to get off to stretch my legs and to be depressed about the fact my journey had doubled in length in the course of a few minutes. And uh, they told me I couldn't get off in Belarus because I had no visa. But my Russian Mm. being quite poor at the time, I didn't really understand what was going on until one of my Russian friends said, no, no, the armed guard in front of you will shoot you if you get off the train. So I thought better of it. I got back onto the train and they provided me with boiled potatoes in a bag uh, through the window. There were ladies selling us provisions through the window at Grodna train station because we weren't allowed to leave. And they provided us with vodka, roast chicken. Lovely Ooh. boiled potatoes in dill. We had uh, lots of dried fish, salty, had to go with the vodka. So yes, it was quite an eventful journey and I wasn't even in Russia yet. By the time I got to Russia, I'd already been immersed in the culture. I was loving every minute of it.
1: Yeah, Russian sustenance is a beautiful thing. You didn't have a problem getting a visa then?
0: Well, I did I didn't have a visa for Belarus, but I did have obviously have a visa for Russia. Oh. So when I arrived in Russia, everything was absolutely fine. Getting a visa is uh, an interesting Proposition now as it was then. If you're going to travel to uh, Russia or indeed anywhere outside the European Union, you need to go through a prolonged process of examination. You're asked a hundred questions about your work and your parents' work and who your wife was married to in the past. It can be quite Byzantine. In hmm. Structure and so I was slightly intimidated by the idea that I would get to the Russian border and they would give me another interrogation about my father's inside leg measurement or some such uh, useless piece of information just to give me a hard time. But in the event, I don't even remember crossing the border, so it must have been quite smooth sailing. Now, when I come back to Russia, we have to go back to the UK every now and again to get visas to come back, and it's still quite an interne sign process and quite involved. I think mainly now, it's though, it's the expense that's uh, involved in traveling to Russia that puts a lot of people off.
1: Yes, expense, you mean it is too costly to get a visa or the journey itself is too costly, like tickets or accommodation during your trip? Or well,
0: what? once you're in Russia, there's no problem. Accommodation is, is cheap and good and uh, plentiful. The cost of tickets flying into Moscow seems to be much more expensive than flying into other places near Russia. So, yes, I mean, there seems to be a a disparity in, in pricing. But it's also the process of doing it. If I book a holiday in the UK to go to Turkey, for example, there are no real procedures to go through. I simply book the holiday, I get on the plane, when I get to Turkey, then they stamp my passport and say, welcome to Turkey. Whereas that is not an experience you'll have coming to Russia. But if you can get past that, uh, it is an amazing place to come, as thousands of football fans will attest.
1: So you're a football fan, I see. How did you find it the World Cup which was recently concluded?
0: Well, unfortunately or fortunately, I was working the entire time of the World Cup. Uh-huh. So I was working with my students here in Belgrade. And I didn't get a chance to attend any of the matches. But having said that, the nearest match to me was in Rostov, and Rostov is how far from here? Oh, I wouldn't know. I'm ge-
1: geographically illiterate, so.
0: <laughs> but uh, it's a long way. So r- going to Rostov from here is a journey of a good few hours, even if you fly. And that's the nearest venue we had. And Moscow. Moscow is what about? three, four hundred miles from where we're sitting today. So journey times in Russia are measured in days, not hours, very often. I didn't have the opportunity really to go to any of these games. It, um, it would have been a major undertaking to get to the World Cup, but I did watch it on television with a lot of disappointed Russians.
1: You mean disappointed Russians which uh, were with, with you, or you mean our team, or...? just in general
0: the world cup was i think considered a great success in russia russians are very hospitable and they love to meet people from around the world that's one of the great things about this country that i loved coming here is that i've been welcomed fully you're listening to understanding russia russia is quite a secretive society in lots of ways meaning people don't usually give personal information out freely but when i've come to russia i've found that People want to speak to me, they want to be my friends, and they are, it is a friendly culture. Russians themselves are very welcoming, very nice people, generally.
1: Well, I'm happy to hear that you like our Russian hospitality, but football is something which connects you to your motherland, to Britain. Uh, As far as we know, football is very big in Britain. culturally close to you. So, when you first got to Russia, have you experienced this nebulous culture shock?
0: I didn't. That's probably more to do with me. I was very excited by the idea of coming to Russia, mainly because everybody else was excited by the prospect of not coming to Russia. Uh, Most people, they thought of Russia as some kind of strange place to be. Why would you go there? You know, there are so many other places that would be nicer to visit. Why didn't you learn Italian at university? Why did you learn Russian? Italy's much nicer than, than Russia. I didn't experience culture shock because I'm not that kind of person. I do enjoy the process of visiting new places. There are things that you can't do or you couldn't do in Russia when I first arrived that you can do now. I mean, the difference between coming to Russia when you were in the 90s and now is that there really isn't very much difference here. There's internet, there's hot, cold, running water, everything works as it should do. It's just slightly different.
1: Well, yeah, I, I guess it changed since then. I wouldn't know. I wasn't born <laughs> back then. I wasn't conceived. But you, you've mentioned that your knowledge of Russian wasn't uh, as good as uh, it is right now. So at first, it must have been pretty difficult for you to survive without being able to buy everything you want because you simply can't describe it.
0: That's true. But there is a Russian word, morjna and you're my <laughs> finger, which I used... To great effect, Mojna means may I, and I pointed, and usually people understood what I meant, and and I offered them money, and they seemed to give me goods for it. So even when I didn't know Russian, uh, there wasn't a huge problem getting what I wanted. The main problem with getting what I wanted was I didn't know what I was buying, because everything was in Cyrillic, and everything had a strange name, even if you translated it into English, and some things were untranslatable. So for example, meat, meat does, there are different kinds of meat. And I wasn't aware that Russians knew that this was actually the case. I once asked a friend of mine, um, what was in his sandwich? And he said, it's meat. I said, "Um, yeah, but what kind of meat? And he looked at me as if I was stupid or I was from another planet. What do you mean meat? It's meaty meat. What do you expect in a meat sandwich? Meat. And this sort of, I thought, Does it matter to you what kind of meat you're eating? Uh, It turns out all meat is pork. Uh, If you want a different kind of meat, you have to say something else. But that was kind of strange for me.
1: We Russians have, I would say, odd things about us, which we just uh, accepted a long time ago about meat, about water, about drinking. If we say something about drinking, normal people would assume that we're talking about water or some beverage, but no, Russians usually talk about spirits. Uh, (laughs) Yeah,
0: definitely. (laughs) You're listening to Understanding Russia.
1: I know that Russia was always a boogeyman in uh, the eyes of Western media. What was your uh, real opinion uh, on the background of knowing what uh, British people, Americans, uh, Europeans thought about Russia? What was your real opinion when you met with some of us?
0: It all looked a bit like a Cold War movie set when I first came in the 90s. Everyone still wore the big Soviet hats. There were still all the Soviet buses that were going around. Nothing really had changed greatly from the pictures you saw on the news in the evening. I think the idea of Russia as the enemy in those days excited me quite a lot. Now it simply irritates me. Mm. But in those days, I was excited that I was going to this place which was sort of taboo. Now, lots of people had visited the Soviet Union. In fact, tourism went down in the 1990s. Uh, It had been quite high. Plenty of people visited the Soviet Union, but the idea of of the Soviet Union as the enemy, when I was growing up, it was sort of monolithic. You never thought it would go away, and people came to an agreement that it was a bad place, and that Russians were probably responsible for a lot of bad things. But there was this sort of soft side that that you could love these people. I mean, there were, there were some um, media celebrations of Russians. Uh, Sting released a song called Russians in the uh, 1980s, which was, I hope the Russians love their children too. And Elton John sang about Nikita. I'm, I'm presuming that he didn't know that it was a boy's name, but maybe he did. Um, but but so there was a very strange relationship. So in the West of sort of the Soviet mentality was often parodied as well. The, the idea of a Russian stereotype, It was used to soften the edges of what was the cold war. Um, so I grew up as a child in, in the cold war. And then when the nineties arrived, I was already a teenager. I was already aware of these things. So it simply just became exciting. And the propaganda in the 1990s was all pro-Russian. Welcome to the world. Welcome back to the Western ways of understanding the world, which was a sort of, we've won, what next? That sort of idea. So when I was in Russia, I thought that everything had changed. I thought that everything in the mindset had flipped over and now you could go and buy your TV and video cassettes and all this sort of thing. But the reality when I hit the ground was that This was a society in massive change, dealing with real social and economic problems, and it was actually a disaster that was happening in front of my eyes. And very quickly, when I woke up to this fact, I started to become more sophisticated in my opinion. And the opinions that I was hearing the most of were worried opinions. Russians were worried about the future. They didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow. They didn't know how much their money was going to be worth. They didn't know anything about this. So the shock for me was not cultural because I was, you know, I was a young man and I could take everything in my stride, but what was a shock for me was how disorganized the society become, how hard the edges around society become, how people had to cope with extreme difficulty. There's no food in the shops. And even if there is food, you don't have the money to buy it. This was a real problem. No one was getting their pensions, the health system had broken down, the drugs you needed to buy were more expensive than they'd ever been. Mm. And so, for me, the shock was not so much the culture, it was the situation.
1: So you caught the dire footprint uh, that was left on Russia?
0: I didn't judge it in that way. I didn't see communism as being to blame. No. I didn't think about communism at all, really. I mean, it's quite bizarre, but I, I never thought of the Soviet Union as a political system in those days. I sort of knew it was different in some way, but I simply assumed it was the opposite block. I didn't really understand what it was like to live in the Soviet Union until I actually arrived in the 1990s and saw the result of that. But it never felt like, you know, the Russians have put themselves in it here. It felt like here is a human disaster and I'm now in the middle of it, but I've got a ticket to go home. These people don't. They live here.
1: So, well, you said that you had a ticket to go home, but you obviously didn't. What What,
0: compelled you to stay here? Well, I did go home and then I came back a couple of years ago after living in the UK for a long time. So I came back after 20 years living in the UK to make a new career here and a life here because I I never lost my fascination with this country. And I never lost my fascination with the language and the culture and the history and the politics that go on here. And I found myself defending Russia, as I said in the intro. I found myself defending Russia to my friends. And it just sort of it became a natural step for me to come back here when, when my life took, you know, a turn. I had suddenly the opportunities for moving on with my life and changing the, the things that I was doing. Russia popped up, and I thought, why not go out there and teach English? And here I am doing that. So I did go home, and I came back to a different place. This is a different place country to the one that I visited in the 1990s you're listening to understanding Russia
1: do you have any advice you would like to give someone who's coming to Russia for their very first time and expecting to see there I don't know some demons some strange creatures <laughs> where unhuman is uh, the way we're portrayed in Western media
0: well if you cross any border and try going to America the border guards tend to be quite a miserable looking uh, you know, bureaucracy is monolithic. Have your papers in order. You need that wherever you go. We're sort of used to, in Europe at least, travelling freely around Europe and not being asked for anything except you know a brief flash of your passport at the border. I now, am. Britain, that's going to change possibly soon with Brexit happening. Mm-hmm. But I, as we go to air, <laughs> as we record this, Brexit still hasn't happened. I don't know whether it ever will. Well, we'll find out. But the fact is, if you have all your papers in order, coming into Russia is absolutely fine. My advice is don't take a taxi from the airport <laughs> <laughs> because they'll sting you for a lot of money. Oh, anyway. uh, my, my advice to anyone coming to Russia is prepare ahead of time and find yourself a local guide. Uh, if, you've, if you're not familiar with Russian language, then even finding the exit sign in the airport can be difficult. Someone with a knowledge of Russian is a good idea. If you can't go with an individual guide, I would suggest coming to an organization. And really, this is an amazing place to discover. Russia is unlike any place you'll ever go in your life. It's full of very interesting people who I will introduce you all to in the fullness of time. If you've ever thought about coming to Russia, don't think about it, make it reality. Russia has some of the most amazing art treasures in the world. If you go to St. Petersburg, it's a very European-looking city. You can go to the Hermitage, which is bigger than the Louvre, with more art treasures. It's got an incredible, rich cultural heritage that you can discover not once, but many times. People catch a bug for this country, possibly because of the negative media that's attached to it. It feels like a dangerous place to come. It feels like you're breaking a taboo coming here. Actually you're not you're coming to one of the most uh, wonderful countries on the planet in my opinion
1: well yeah especially nowadays young people like to be contrarian so when media says them no no they of course they want to come why wouldn't they it's something that people dread so they won't be dead <laughs> they want to be something special
0: yeah well i mean there is that but there's also uh, you know for older people who want to travel here retired people the facilities are here you will get a fluffy pillow you will get internet access. The restaurants are fantastic. The food in this country is amazing, if you know where to look. You can buy your food off the street, but if you do that in New York, if you do that in London, you're taking the same risks as you are in Moscow. So if you buy it from a restaurant, you know, you're you're looking at some of the best cuisine. It's just a wonderful place to visit and explore, and the culture is amazing.
1: You started our interview with mocking our soup with cabbage, and now you say that <laughs> you like our cuisine. Yeah. You know what just occurred to me? Oh. I think Nikita is a unisex name. Really? Yes, because I know a few girls who are named Nikita.
0: Well, there you go. Well, that tells us a lot about Elton John. Indeed. He was illiterate, especially <laughs> about Russia. <laughs> Indeed. You're listening to Understanding Russia. I work at Belgorod State University. One of my colleagues is Vladislav Kuchmisty, who is a vice-rector here, which is quite senior. And he deals with all of the international affairs of the university and is well-placed to talk to me today about how people come into the university and the experience of foreigners coming to Russia to study here. The university has been recognized by the Ministry of Education for the quality of the graduates coming out. A lot of them are in demand in science and tech, and the university is keen to highlight this fact.
2: We have about 3,000 international students from more than 90 countries of the world study at the university now. Our university is a university which has become an alma mater for more than 25,000 international students and they really come from all over the world.
0: So where do they come from?
2: Well, actually, they come from Latin America, from Asia, from China, Far East, from Africa. Really, all the continents are represented by the students at our university.
0: What's the largest group, do you know?
2: largest group? Well, difficult to say. I think that the majority of international students at the Medical Institute come from India, and the Near East. We have a huge international body of international students that come from China at the Institute of Economic Management. We have a large body of international students coming from Latin America, from Ecuador especially. They choose residency programs at the Medical Institute. Of course, the majority of international students come
0: from the Ukraine, Mm -hmm. and it is quite natural, I believe. So that'll actually surprise some of our listeners that so many of our students come from Ukraine. So you say it's quite a natural thing. Why is that?
2: Well, it's quite natural because we are on the border with Ukraine. I'm in Belgrade region, and we are in the distance of 60 kilometers from Kharkov. In the Soviet time, it was one of the greatest university cities of Ukraine. It has quite a lot of uh, institutes and universities. And that is why it is really quite natural for the former time to have very close connections and relations with the universities of Kharkov. And that is why we had quite a lot of exchange students and we had exchange programs. But now the majority of uh, Ukrainian students come not from Harkov but from other regions. It is connected with politics. That's why I'm not quite eager about speaking about it. Well, I mean,
0: it's interesting to our listeners to know that, I mean, I suppose when they imagine Ukrainian and Russian relations, they imagine, you know, soldiers at the border and it being a sealed border, but that's not really the case, is it?
2: Well, as for me, I can't say that I can imagine soldiers on the borders. I haven't seen any of them so far, but I think that the frustrated relations between two countries, of course, influenced the number of students and the intensity of academic relations between the universities of russia and ukraine
0: but there is still a good relationship
2: we have a good body of international students from ukraine that is the answer to your question yeah, that's, that's... so you know i'd like to mention that all those numbers of international students is a challenge for us That is why we've been striving to create that infrastructure or support structure for international students. We are striving to build up a good environment that is going to be friendly for international students. And it's really a big
0: challenge for us. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Vladislav then went on to outline the support structures that the university has in place for dealing with international relations, as it were. One of them is the Centre for Foreign Languages and Academic Writing, which is to support academics who are trying to publish their papers in English abroad. The other one that he mentioned and went on to talk about was the evaluation centres that the university is involved in. This is where Russian universities send people out from the university to foreign countries for the benefit of students who want to take up places here in Russia. And this is a sort of one-stop shop for anybody looking to study in Russia. There's also the Centre for Cross-Cultural Communications, which is a place where students from around the world come to show off their own cultures at home, and it's a place where they can also meet. There's also the Russian Language Testing Centre, which assesses students for their Russian language skills and helps them to achieve the level they need to study here.
2: Well, we are trying to do anything we can to facilitate our um, students, future students, uh, to have this admission process much easier and not that painful for them. I'd like to mention about psychological service for students. It is really important for international students because they are deprived of their family relations, because of distance, because of time lag, because of different things. And uh, here, they uh, should be somehow integrated into social life. They should not feel themselves just behind that communication circle and social circle of the university. That is why we launched that center, which provides psychological support for them.
0: And these are trained uh, psychologists that are working there, yeah? Yeah trained here?
2: Well, yes. And the professors and our best students participated in this activity to help, well, to facilitate the staying of international students at our university. Yeah, so
0: acclimatization is a big thing. Yeah, of here, course. Yeah.
2: And not only that, you know, we have different habits and traveling to another country, to another world, we have to say goodbye to our habits and to acquire new habits and traditions.
0: Like eating cabbage soup. Yeah, no, I <laughs> one of
2: them uh, who is fond of cabbage <laughs> (laughs) It's uh, such kind of dishes. Well, I can't but mention about the preparatory faculty for foreign nationals. That's the first step and the first structure of integration, social integration into our academic life. Is that
0: like a foundation course? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly.
2: Foundation course is right. And they spend from one to one and a half years studying different subjects, helpful for them. Including the Russian language? Yes, of course. It's above all. Russian language above all. And I know that the level of Russian language command is very high and we are really proud of it, but because we have a very good experience starting in nineteen eighties when this faculty was organized and
0: launched. Designed around the idea that a healthy body equals a healthy mind. The university has a lot of different facilities for sport here, both of the mental variety and the physical variety, and has a world class center in the Corkina Sports Center just across the river, which is also part of the university setup.
2: Alongside this, I'd like to mention system of social support, which includes scholarship programs for students, psychological support, accommodation in comfortable dormitories, facilities for handicapped students. And to crown it all, the university is implementing the Health Promotion Target Program and Accessibility Target Program. So we really are busy in creating these equal opportunities for all categories of students, and international students as well.
0: Let's uh, summarize a few of those things. Belgrade State University is a provincial university. Moscow seems to get all the attention most of the time. But we're really, we're really specialist in, in quite a few things at the moment, aren't we? So material science yeah. and language is really a big thing for us now. So we're on the rise, is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, we are on the rise. We've been on the rise uh, for several last years, I think so. And I don't think that Belgrade State University is a kind of provincial university because it has just a bit negative connotation, I should say. I I, (laughs) I I disagree. I think that it would be better to say that Belgrade State University is located in the province of Russia, but it doesn't mean that it's a provincial university. (laughs) Uh, At least our ambitions are not that of provincial universities.
0: Well, I'll point that out, that that Oxford and Cambridge are also in provinces... Yeah. In the UK, so do either we don't have a negative connotation. And on do you that call them? Uh,
2: yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Do you call them provincial? Provincial. University? Well, I, I do,
0: but I went to Glasgow. So. <laughs> that <laughs>
2: <So> explains everything. <laughs> that explains
0: everything. You're listening to Understanding Russia. So, walk me through what happens when you apply for university. What's the first point of contact? How does it go from there?
2: Well, I think that it is much easier these days uh, to establish that contact with the university you want to study in. And usually, and it's a tendency or it's a trend of nowadays, usually the students visit the official website of the university and try to find the admission committee or admission office contacts. They write, they call, they ask their friends that are the students of the university to get that additional information. So the best way to get more information about the university is to visit its website. Of course we are represented at different educational exhibitions and forums. I think that's another good opportunity to find more information, actual and true information about the university. In different countries, the information about the university is represented at the Centers for Science and Culture, as we call it, Mm Rostsotrudnictv.
0: That's the international organization for Russian...
2: Yeah, which Uh, promotes the the education at at Russian universities. So if questions remain, so all these people who want to study at the university can contact our admission office and ask these questions. After that, they will be advisable about the procedure, about the documents they need to submit to the admission office.
0: Do they get issued with visas by the educational establishment, or yeah. do they have to go through the normal ask, visa yeah, system? Yeah, yes,
2: of course. We send that visa application to the future student, mm-hmm. and, well, he submits that application to the embassy to get their visa
0: issued. And it's really just a formality, of course, because once they've been accepted into the university. Do we meet them at the airport? What happens there?
2: Mostly, if we know the exact date and time when they arrive uh, at Belgrade Airport, our students or our, well, officials meet them at the airport. And it's very useful. I mean, our international office, uh, well, they are students who help the admission office to meet people, to conduct them to the office itself, and to help them find their way through all that procedure of admission procedure
0: so these are students actually getting involved with this so the first point of contact they have is with fellow students
2: yes and we ask our students who are the members of the international students office to help us and they do it eagerly and they do it on a regular basis it doesn't mean that they finish their international job when this foreign student is enrolled to the university. They do it after that admission period when they are the first-year students as well.
0: So when I've seen lots of people running around the university looking like they're from Latin America and speaking Spanish, Yeah. That's this office that you talk about. They're doing their work. Is that what you're saying, yeah?
2: Yes, exactly, and they do their work not only in Spanish, they have language commands. They do it in English, they do it in German and French, though we do not have so many uh, students from Germany and France. Uh, Nevertheless, our students are multilingual students. (laughs) That's why uh, they're very
0: handy. So, as they progress through the university, they're acclimatized, they do these foundation courses, And they're given full visa support by the international office. They have international students. Are there any international associations? Do they have their own clubs or their own evenings of support for each other?
2: Yes, of course. International Student Office, uh, among their activities, uh, conduct all those clubs. German, Chinese, English, of course, uh, Spanish. So they help the freshmen to get integrated into the student society, into the student community. And it really helps, you know, because when they come to these clubs and they uh, try to communicate, they try to express themselves and uh, try to make friends, and they do make friends and that is the best thing just to feel you at ease at the new university and to feel you comfortable and cozy.
0: Russians are very friendly, and of course it helps to speak Russian, so their new Russian friends are helping them with the process of acclimatization as well. Yes. Yeah, so this is uh, is a success story for them. It's really actually a welcoming environment. So what about the other end? When students graduate, when they've done their studies in Russian, there are some lectures in the medical school which are in English as well, of course. Do we have any further contact? Do we know what they go on to do? What happens to them after they leave here? Well, this year, it was the first
2: year when they graduated from English program, I mean the students of Mm -hmm. that institute. And we tried to establish further ties with them. And it's one of the tasks of the Association of International Students. We're trying to make the community, and right now we are picking up all those students from different parts of the world, but most of them are from India, And I think that by next summer, we'll have the first information about their future career and about their future well life after the university You know, some of them took the decision to go on at the university and they took their residential programs, and some of them want to have their postgraduate studies at the university. So that means that they were rather comfortable and cozy while studying at the university. And that means a lot to us. That means they don't want to change the university because, well, they respect this university and they are proud of being part of it, and that's why they go on studying here.
0: On that note, it's been a great pleasure speaking to you, Vladislav. I hope to have you on again to talk about other aspects of the university. But for now, thank you very much. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Now it's time to meet a student who I met recently. She's from Vietnam, and her name is Nget. She's had a dream, a dream of coming to Russia for a long time. Uh, Just exactly how long that was was the first question I had for her.
3: Me coming to Russia was my plan for 10 years.
0: Ten years? Ten
3: years, I planned it.
0: So you were, what, eight years old? Nine? Nine. So what about Russia? Why?
3: Well, we lived in Ukraine before with my parents, and then we moved back to Vietnam. I kind of didn't like Vietnam at that time because it was obviously a cultural shock for me and i dreamed of coming back to russia and then there were two years without any russian language and then in the sixth grade i began studying at a school where they taught russian language i kind of loved it again fall, fall, fell in love with it again and i decided that i want to have it in my life so the only way after finishing school is going to russia so in the sixth grade I understood already that my way is heading to Russia.
0: So you mentioned then that you grew up in Ukraine with Vietnamese parents. Were you born in Ukraine?
3: No, I was born in Ukraine, I was born in Vietnam, and when I was three years old, my mom brought me to Ukraine, kind of joined my father there, worked always there, uh, I mean, either in Russia or Ukraine, and just uh, visited our family in Vietnam a couple of times. In 97, he visited my mother, and then I came to life. <laughs> so <laughs> in 2000, she decided that it's time her husband came home, so she brought me there, with her. Kind of some wanted some moral pressure on him, but uh, <laughs> something went wrong. It took six years.
0: Six years of moral pressure. That's pretty good. Well, what's your... Um well, your birth language.
3: I'm not sure what is my birth language because I was born in Vietnam, but at three years old, I was brought to Russia, so to to Kharkiv. So the first language I spoke was Russian because people speak Russian in Kharkiv. But inside the family, my parents always made me speak Vietnamese. It was with accent, bad accent because there are tons in Vietnamese language, but I couldn't do it. Basically, I spoke two languages. Uh, in Kharkiv but then in Vietnam I spoke only Vietnamese I was surrounded by Vietnamese people Vietnamese culture Vietnamese language and literature and uh, Russian was only taught as a uh, foreign language so i tend to think that my birth language my first language is Vietnamese because sometimes when i get tired i always ask my friends time in Vietnamese
0: Ah, right, so that, that is and a good And I count indicator. in
3: Vietnamese.
0: And do you dream in Vietnamese?
3: No, I dream both in both languages, not even in two languages, but in three or four, but I count in Vietnamese.
0: Do you feel like you've mastered both languages to the point where you're never lost for words?
3: Vietnamese, yes. Russian, not sure.
0: Your English is very good. Where did you learn that?
3: I learned it here in Russia, in Belgrade State University.
0: Really? Very yes. good. I yeah.
3: came here with zero knowledge of English.
0: Wow, and you're proficient now, I think. So, you chose to come to Belgorod State University? Yes. You did?
3: I mean, I chose coming to Russia, but then uh, the destiny decided for me.
0: Right. It was destiny. (laughs) It was destiny. Your fate was to come here. Yes. And you chose um, to do English or languages in general. Are you doing any other languages?
3: Well, I wanted to do other languages other than Russian, just Russian language, because in 2014, I joined some kind of an international contest for Russian language learners, and I won a prize there. But I saw that the guys there, they spoke not only Russian, but other languages. And then I came to the point that why do I speak only Russian? So the only way out was learning other languages. Learning other languages means translation and interpretation <laughs> probably the only way so uh, i came here and chose english because uh well english seemed popular and still seems popular now
0: i'm glad to hear it you speak how many languages then would you say
3: uh fluently mm. or just well spe- in general in general i speak vietnamese russian as my mother tongues two mother tongues uh german a little bit of spanish i understand ukrainian but i can't speak I don't know the structure of the language. And I can understand a little bit of Chinese because there was time when I learned Chinese.
0: So a little bit of everything. But you're not attracted to Asian languages, Japanese, Chinese particularly?
3: Why not? I was attracted to Chinese, but the thing is, in 2019, I went to Germany for a language course. and I was so involved in it, and uh, I just gave up Chinese. I learned Chinese. I had been learning Chinese for six months until that moment. And I had level two or something, or what they call it, HSK2. My tutors told me that it was quite a progress, but then I gave up Chinese for German.
0: <laughs> so that's good, I suppose, I think. you go. you went back to Vietnam. Did you feel at home there?
3: To be honest, for me, home is where your parents are, your relatives are your memories are.
0: How did you explain it to your friends? Did you say, well... I don't
3: miss Vietnam. I don't Mm -hmm. miss it. You don't miss it? No. I miss the memories. I miss my family. I miss the food. I miss very particular things about Vietnam. But not the country itself, because, well, I couldn't get used to the society there, unfortunately.
0: A different mentality. Sure. You're listening to Understanding Russia. In what way?
3: Uh, Bullying in school, it's much harsher than it is here in Russia, I swear. My classmates didn't understand me until 11th grade. There are 12th grades in Vietnam, and we study from the 6th grade together all the 6 years. We didn't change any classes or school, but 5 years of suffering from bullying, they were hard for me.
0: Were they picking on you particularly because of your difference, or was it generally a culture?
3: It was partially culture, but probably it was because I was uh, too good at studying. I was always studying, always having best marks, and teachers, they were not uh, feeling uncomfortable about uh, telling the whole class, the whole group that I'm the best, and, well, children, they are not the best people, and they may become jealous.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think that's true everywhere, but it's it's how it's controlled, I think. So teachers, were well, the class sizes big in Vietnam?
3: Yes. In middle school, it is usually 40 children a class. And then in my school, high school or oh, there were 30 children per class, so a little bit less, but not much.
0: You felt that um the education was better in Ukraine?
3: No. The education is surely better in Vietnam, especially in the schools where I started, because they were the best schools. Well, my middle school was one of the best of the province where I lived, but my high school was top three of the country, and there were always golden prizes from international contests that a student from my school won.
0: So, very high standards. Sure. I won one. Yeah. You won a gold medal. Yeah. Well, that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) What was it in?
3: (laughs) In Russian language. (laughs) In Russian.
0: Well, uh, yeah, okay. That's one thing to do. When you explained Ukraine to Vietnamese people, what was the main thing they thought about? Did they think about it at all? And the opposite question. When you explained Vietnam to Russians and Ukrainians, what do you find yourself saying over and over again?
3: People don't really know uh, Ukraine and Russia, they don't r- really differ, the the two countries, because of the Soviet time. So the first time when I came back to Vietnam, my uh, granddad, he always asked me how was there in the Soviet Union, and I was, Soviet Union? And I was small, I was small, I was only nine years old, I didn't know what is Soviet Union, I just knew that there, there was Ukraine and there was Russian uh, Russia and there are two Uh, different countries but i was shocked with soviet everybody's asking about soviet um but it came with with time and i understood and they were asking about um snow does it snow all the time is it cold all the time uh is there any summer what do you eat there are there any vegetables because vietnamese eat a lot a lot of vegetables but not meat then they ask about (laughs) Yes, beers, vodka (laughs) and stuff. They ask about how I lived there with my parents. Was it hard? But I was a child. I didn't even notice when my parents went to work at the local market, a very big one. And the childhood in Ukraine was nice for me. So I just told everybody, well, it was nice, no problems no bullings, conflicts. Although my parents told me, I do remember that my parents told me during the times of elections, uh, don't go, go out. I didn't understand why, but prob- now I do understand because the uh, elections in Ukraine were always with conflicts.
0: That's true. You're listening to Understanding Russia. And what about Russia? You came to Russia. Why did you choose Russia? I mean, you were raised in Ukraine. Why didn't you decide to stay there?
3: Well, quite a practical, uh, I would say, reason. It's The political situation seems more stable here. The country is bigger, the economy is more developed, infrastructure is more developed, I think there are more international students here and more chances for them to i mean not not just to stay here but to um, learn something and bring uh, back to the country
0: and what about vietnam would you do you see a future i suppose mediating between Vietnamese culture and Russian culture, do you think there's much of a market for that?
3: Yes, there is a huge market, at least for translators and interpreters. The thing is that (laughs) Vietnamese now, they do learn English and they are trying hard to learn English, to speak at least one foreign language. But in Russia, the situation is a bit different relatively few people speak foreign language especially english they still need translators to communicate with the world so either you translate between russian and vietnamese or you use english to mediate between the two cultures
0: that's interesting so you you may have a future introducing vietnamese people to russian culture or vice versa
3: I already have had this experience. I'm working now as a freelancer, as a freelance translator. So I'm trying to do it.
0: Yeah, I know your translation skills are brilliant because I use them too. Uh, what about the future? Are you planning to stay in Russia or are you planning to move anywhere particular? particular? What, what general plans do you have for the future?
3: You know, when I went to Russia, I had the only clear plan I had was coming to Russia. After that, I had no idea what to do. I just told myself, "Well, okay, I'm just gonna study well, and then we're gonna see. Maybe Europe. Maybe coming back to Vietnam. Uh, firstly, I wanted. Uh, at first, I wanted to. I wanted to come back to Vietnam because my parents have a uh, shoe store there. I mean, the f- financial basis is already in waiting for me. But then uh, we have some conflicts in our family, and I decided not to come back." Say in Russia, uh, well, I dreamt of it, I thought of it two years ago. I don't think that I could earn as much as I would earn or with my skills in other countries. For example, in Europe or something, or at least in bigger cities, but not our city.
0: You're listening to Understanding Russia. Okay, what's your one, the one thing that you love about Russia above anything else, would you say?
3: The cuisine.
0: You like the food?
3: Sure, I love the food. My Vietnamese friends always ask me how how could I eat the seliotka? <laughs>
0: <laughs> herring, herring is everywhere, herring,
3: yeah. yeah. And then uh, how could I eat the bloody uh, kravianka and do. the vobla, the dried fish? Uh-huh. They call it um, fish corpse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, if you come from Vietnam, I'd imagine fish is on the menu every day.
3: Sure, but it's fresh. It's It's fresh. fresh.
0: Exactly. It's the same in Britain. In Britain, we're so spoiled because fresh fish is everywhere. And in Vietnam, exactly the same, I'd imagine. But in Russia, we are many, 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 many kilometers from the sea here. So how the fish gets here, we don't know. We dry it and ship it. That's what we do. You really do like the food.
3: I do like Russian food, but I do cook uh, Vietnamese food and other food.
0: You love your food. I love eating. Yeah, But it's amazing. You're so tiny, and yet you love your food. But anyway, uh, I digress. If there's one thing you could change about Russia, exchange, if you like, with Vietnam or any other country you've lived in, what would it be? Yeah, you could change one thing out for another, for example. Mm. What would you import from Vietnamese culture or Ukrainian culture into Russia to replace something Russian? What do you say?
3: I would not think about replacement, but I would like to bring some warmth from, from Vietnam to Russia because uh, I'm allergic to cold, to the cold. <laughs> uh, I- And I'm seriously talking about this allergy because when it gets to minus 10 and if I stay outside for more than 10 or 15 minutes, it begins to itch everywhere, uh, literally everywhere. And if I don't have my pills, I'm going to die.
0: That's interesting. At the moment, I'm reading a lot of Chinese history, and Chinese history is full of Chinese armies going south into Vietnam and dying from diseases and the heat and the jungle. And you've gone in the other opposite direction, and you're having the same problems. Um, <laughs>
3: but then, from Russia to Vietnam, I would like Russian prices, uh, uh, car prices in Vietnam, because the car prices in Vietnam are very high now. Automobiles are very expensive.
0: And indeed, you can buy yourself a house
3: sure a house they they could have bought me a house a flat here but they chose to buy a car in vietnam
0: so this is the source of your conflict (laughs) with your parents (laughs) maybe maybe
3: one of it one of them
0: it's been very nice talking to you Um, thank you i've enjoyed this interview have you enjoyed yourself is there anything else you'd like to add
3: thank you for having me
0: it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening to Understanding Russia. I'd like to thank all our guests today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share it with your friends. If you want to contact us, you can get in touch with us via our website at urpod.net, where you can find all our social media links, or via email, understandingrussia at gmail.com. We will be very happy to hear from you. You have been listening to Understanding Russia, a student-led podcast from Belgorod State University.